This is a Music Therapy Chronicles podcast episode with Janet Schmidt. A lot of that was just like naturally life. And the other part of that is like, I had a traumatic brain injury. Yay. Actually, it's terrible. <laughs> so traumatic. <laughs> um, I don't know that word though. We just talked about that word traumatic. I shied away from that like initially a lot because I was like, oh, I had a concussion. Like, I'm fine. It's not traumatic. Whatever. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like the music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote. I'm your weekly host and a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider leaving us a rating and review. We really appreciate them. You can find more podcast episodes, links to our pod courses, the self-care community, links to all of our social media, and get on our monthly newsletter all at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today, and you can always reach me by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you for being over here on the podcast today. I'm so grateful to have you. Um, thank you for listening to the show, for subscribing, for following us on social media and online, for joining our newsletter. All those things really support the podcast and I appreciate them. Uh, today's episode with Janet, who you may have heard before. Janet was on episode... 15 of the podcast early days of the show um anyway janet was on episode 15 of the podcast and she's back today to give us a life update and we talk a lot about her experience with traumatic brain injury janet um had a concussion a few years ago it has changed a lot of things about her life and her identity and she agreed to come on the show and talk through that with me and hopefully this episode I mean I think it was incredibly impactful um and hopefully you as the listener get a lot out of it too whether you also have an acquired disability of some sort or you work with people with traumatic brain injuries or you know, you're just looking for some perspective shifts or enlightenment and insight into experiences other than your own. I think this is a great conversation for you. So this is part one of my conversation with Janet. Part two will be out next week and you definitely don't want to miss it. So make sure you are subscribed to the show if you are not already. All right, let's get into part one of my conversation with Janet.
All right, Janet, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thanks. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm really grateful that you agreed to come on the show um, and share your experience. But for the listeners, um, tell them who you are, what you do. It can be related to your career or not. Tell us about yourself. Okay. Hi, listeners. Um, My name is Janet Schmidt. If you recognize my voice, it's because I was on the show like a few years ago and I talked about ABA and being an RBT and also balancing music therapy. Um, Trisha, I'm sure you can link that in the show notes, right? (laughs) Yeah, I just put it, wrote it down for myself so that I remember. Um, Okay, so since that episode, guys, I have lived life like a lot. I moved across the country. I changed my name. I cut my hair. I'm no longer a music therapist. (laughs) Had a little bit of an identity crisis. Um, And a lot of that was just like naturally life. And the other part of that is like, I had a traumatic brain injury. Yay. Actually, it's terrible. (laughs) So traumatic. (laughs) Um, I don't know that word though. If we just talk about that word traumatic, I shied away from that like initially a lot because I was like, oh, I had a concussion. Like, I'm fine. It's not traumatic, whatever. (laughs) Um, So that is the overview of me, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love that, that you said that to start that off, because I think I agree that sometimes we minimize our experience until like we're through it a little more, maybe not out of it, but through it a little more. And we're like, wow, like that was actually really impactful in ways that I was not allowing myself to acknowledge. I think COVID's a great example of that. We were all just like, pivot, adapt, do something different, figure it out, uh, be resilient. And now we're all just like, what the heck did we For go sure. Whiplash, um, oh no gosh, pun intended. No, you <laughs> we, we all jumped into survival mode for sure. Yeah. So I, I'm not trying to deter from what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I think that owning that word traumatic is, is really transformative for you. Yeah. Um, and so like, I'm still healing. Um, and so like, I have a disability now and that has also been really hard to own. Yeah. Are you comfortable telling people um, what caused your injury? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I was snowboarding, right? Like I grew up in Michigan. I've skied, I've snowboarded, like so good at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was teaching myself to go off a jump on the snowboard. Cause I was like, I haven't done this. It'll be fun. Um, okay guys, I, I have to tell you now at the start of this episode that like, I'm an Enneagram seven. That means I'm an enthusiast. That means I like really love life and doing fun things. And it also means that I really shy away from feeling hard feelings. And I just feel like that is so relevant to our conversation today. Um, Because like, you know, I was out there and I was snowboarding and having so much fun. And I had a helmet on and I just, um, all I did was like slip somehow and fell on my back didn't even go off the jump and land wrong. Like it was before the jump, Trisha. And just the irony of that kind of kills me a little bit. (laughs) But also it's like, well, I guess it could have been worse. Um, Okay, so I- washing out for you. That's true, so true. 
Um, I've had three other concussions. So this was actually like my fourth concussion. And so I think that's why my brain was like, ah, no problems. Yeah. Yeah, The other three was when I was like young too. So I don't even remember the recovery process, but it was fine. Yeah. But it, it'd be interesting. Like there's no real way to know how those affected each other and like your development and how like your prior injuries could have impacted this one to be more severe than like it may have been otherwise. Do you know what I mean? I right. think concussions are so complex that, yeah. yeah. It's all conjecture. Um, yeah. And I thought that like the severity of the blow, uh, like if it was like a really hard fall, I thought that would mean it was like more severe symptoms. And that's mm-hmm. not true at all. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So tell tell me more about that. Explain that to me. Um, okay, so if you, like, if your head gets, like, crushed by a car, that's a lot of force, so that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a more severe symptoms, um, in a concussion afterwards, um, than if you're just, like, fall over, like, so the force doesn't matter, apparently. Yeah, interesting. Logically, I'm like, yes, yes, that makes sense, but also I'm like, I feel so counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, why not? <laughs> yeah, our bo- our bodies are so weird. They're so weird. They're so sensitive. And like the brain, we're just starting to understand. Like they're so complex. <laughs> um, okay, so, so go ahead. Go ahead. Um, jumping back into the story, snowboarding, fell over um kind of laying on my back you know I'm like oh that took the wind out of me what am I doing why did I fall over I think I just like hit a patch of ice or something in the the edge of the board caught and then I like look up and check me out wait can you hear me we froze you froze okay okay I also think there's a little bit of a lag maybe it's better now um okay so I lost you after I looked up um, so I looked up and saw a ski patrol on the ski lift and I didn't want them to come check on me because I don't know, I get embarrassed. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm not going to wait here for them. I'm going to ski down this mountain instead of taking a breather. So actually, I mean, I was snowboarding, but whatever. So I went down the mountain, no issue. Um, and then I went into the ski lodge and I just kind of chilled there because I was like oh, I feel a little off I don't, I don't know what's wrong but I feel a little off so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a short break and then it was probably like an hour break and I remember asking someone a different ski patrol person who was like getting coffee or something <laughs> I was like how do I know if I have a concussion and they're like um it's hard to say but you should probably not <laughs> snowboard for the rest of the day and I was like what no I paid so much money yeah <laughs> And then I listened, <laughs> which good. is probably really good advice. <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So then I just, I drove home. I asked a friend to ride with me in case, cause I was feeling like a little bit off, you know, Smart. um, cause it was like a two hour drive, but like, I felt fine for the most part, besides that, that feeling of offness when it's like, which is weird. Cause it wasn't headache it wasn't like anything specific it was just like something's different mm-hmm. um the next day was sunday so i played cello at church and it was like really loud and really fun gosh i love that but 
it made me so nauseous and like I remember walking and like feeling like the hall was wobbling and I'm like this is not right something's definitely wrong <laughs> I probably have a concussion <laughs> so then I okay I feel also feel like you're gonna hear me notice things and be like I should do this and then I do the opposite <laughs> so That's I, yeah so I kept playing for all three services and rehearsal which was probably like four hours of loud music and playing um and then I go to work the next day because it was Monday and then I do a session or two and I'm like nope nope can't do this so then I cancel the rest of my sessions and then I leave for Christmas vacation a little early and I was like I'll be fine in two weeks you know I've got vacation one week whatever so then I am not fine after a week and then I'm like you know what I'll just you know take some PTO a little early take another week off it's fine told my boss I you know thought I had a concussion she's like okay have you seen a doctor maybe you should see a doctor good mm -hmm. advice boss thank you for that so then I saw a doctor after like two or three weeks because I thought it was going to take like three days maybe a week to yeah. heal the concussion yeah and it was like three weeks at that point um so I saw the doctor and they're like yeah we're gonna put you in speech therapy and physical therapy and yep we've got some work to do oh and they also were like yeah this might take a few months to heal <laughs> and I think that just like went over my head and I was like what no I'm gonna be fine in one week one more week one more week <laughs> yeah um hello listeners this has been two and a half years in the healing journey it's been a little more than a few months <laughs> a little bit oh So I guess by what you, when you mentioned speech therapy specifically, I'm wondering like what, what triggered them to recommend that? Cause I'm like, we're, I feel like I don't, I, this probably is really ignorant for me to say, but I feel like if I was having enough trouble with my speech, I would know. So like, was it something you just didn't notice or was it like that's protocol and they were just putting you on the protocol? Like, am I making um, any sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think I just thought I would heal naturally on my own and that it wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so actually my symptoms at the point of seeing the doctor were more severe than they were like the day or two after the concussion, I feel like. So yeah. I was experiencing random um, word omitting from sentences and random word substitution. Yeah. I also had a lot of attention and concentration issues and I had so much nausea and headachiness and just like vestibular offness and my balance was like so bad that I was like holding onto a wall as I was walking from my bedroom to my kitchen and then I would take a break and breathe for 10 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah so it was like a lot and it was probably like a relatively steady decline where again you don't realize what's happening and like yeah you know you just think, oh, yeah. like this, this is just the new reality and not being like, oh, two weeks ago, these were not happening, you know, pre, pre-injury, um, mm -hmm. again, minimizing that. Yeah. For sure. Minimizing. Yeah. I think we all and have then, experiences in our life where we do that. I have this 
I don't know, in order to wrap my mind around of like what I was going through um, after this concussion, I I started referring to myself as just as like a way to process and differentiate for people like old Janet, it was pre-concussion and new Janet mm-hmm. is post-concussion. Um, and so like new Janet had some issues <laughs> and goes to a lot of therapies. Um, and new Janet had like difficulty with these things and old Janet was like really fun and really adventurous and like could totally take care of herself. Um, yeah. Okay. So what do you want to hear about? I, so I'm curious about that thought because I'm, I'm thinking about either for someone listening, who's also gone through that transition, um, something that you could advice you could give them or like something like profound (laughs) the words the words are not coming to me um to help someone else in that situation and I'm also thinking for those of us who work with people with traumatic brain injuries something we should keep in mind as therapists because they may be experiencing what you experienced so two two perspectives for advice someone with a TBI and someone working with a person who has a new TBI. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Um, okay, so I had really awesome speech therapists and physical therapists. Like, they were just amazing. Um, they were so good at helping me through it because they were educating me and they were giving me as many options as they could, which I so That's appreciate. awesome. And also, because I couldn't turn off my own therapist brain, I was asking, like, well, why are we doing this? Because <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed the experience of getting, you know, firsthand therapy because I was like, oh, this will make me a better therapist. <laughs> yeah. Irony. Um, irony. So much irony. And, you know, I was like, this is a unique opportunity. Let's do it. Um, so... Anyways, they just, you know, they asked if I needed the lights off because I was light sensitive, forgot that one. Um, (laughs) And they gave me suggestions of like wearing headphones or um, turning down the music in the waiting room maybe. Um, Gosh, I feel like I'm, I'm a little scattered. So what was the question? So we'll, we'll do one at a time. For someone else who has a TBI and they are now going into these therapies, it's a new part of their identity to be receiving therapy. What would you say to them? Um, gosh, friend, that sucks. And I am so sorry. And no one else is going to get it because it sucks. And it's okay that that sucks because it sucks. Um, go to all the therapies that's good. And please ask for help. I know you probably think you can do it on your own, but please ask for help. Um, I look back and it boggles me that like I had this whole support network that I didn't really let in, didn't really tell I was having as many issues as I was. And like, why didn't I ask someone to drive me to therapy? I don't know, but I should have. (laughs) Why didn't I ask someone to go grocery shopping for me? Because the grocery store was like the worst place but I didn't even think about asking it for it. Um, yeah. Like, and then also going to the grocery store, I probably could have used like one of those, uh, 
motorized wheelie scooter things, you know, to get my groceries. But I was so embarrassed. I was like, people will look at me and see a young, healthy person and they'll think I'm like playing around on it. And so I don't want to use it, um, which is like a little bit of pride and fear. Also, I initially was so reluctant to wear headphones, which I still wear in like church to go to the, the worship music part. And I was like, man, why am I embarrassed to wear headphones? Like I tell my clients to wear their headphones, like I should be okay with this. It's not weird. But I felt like if I go into this building wearing headphones, like what if the policeman at the church thinks that I have a gun or something? Like what if, you know, they think the worst of me is just like this fear mongering cycle. Mm. I was wrestling with these doubts of this is new. This is hard. Yeah. I'm, I'm also thinking about how this gets into the conversation about invisible disability, especially yeah. when you said they would look at me in the, the motorized chair and think she's young and healthy, um, right? And so there are so many invisible disabilities and visible that we just are not culturally exposed to to recognize, you know, where truthfully, like if I saw you in a motorized chair and didn't know you, that would be my first thought. And then my second thought would be the relearning of saying, no, Trisha, there's probably something you don't know about going on and you should like keep your judgments to yourself. <laughs> Eventually we'll get to the neurologic bypass where I'm just, I skip over judgment, right? We'll get there someday. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that that's really important for people like me to be reminded of that like disabilities can be invisible and they still deserve supports and respect. And I need to keep that in mind, but also for someone who's experiencing a newly acquired, potentially invisible disability that um, those supports are just as valid and important for you too. And you shouldn't feel like you have to give them up because your disability presents differently than what society expects. Mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> we're diving deep into this layer of like heavy emotions which is we don't so have to go there if you don't want to a little bit uncomfortable no that's why we're doing this right like this is new janet i'm new janet is working on this strength to sit in heavy emotions of myself <laughs> Enneagram seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. Um, I, in an effort as a person <laughs> to, to recognize those biases in myself and change them, I try to expose myself as much as possible to things like that. Um, you know, social like media. So if we're talking invisible disabilities specifically, like um, social media is not the answer to everything, but I try and follow a lot of creators that have disabilities that I've never seen, never heard of, never recognized, don't even realize are a disability because of the way the person presents and to hear their stories and then apply that when I see people out in the world, you know, oh, this person is doing this thing that I don't understand. Maybe they have ADHD. That person is using a wheelchair, but they just stood up to get a can of soup in the grocery store. Well, maybe mm. they have a spinal um, abnormality that makes it really uncomfortable for them to stand. And so they need the uh, mobility assistance of the wheelchair. You know, a person has a 
service dog but like I don't see any reason why they could possibly need a service dog well maybe they have anxiety or a respiratory issue and like the dog is there to warn them you know things like that where just broadening my very narrow perspective because I'm only one person (laughs) there's only so much I can see at once yeah good job Trisha (laughs) thanks um So, okay. So that would be advice for someone who has a TBI. What's your advice for someone who is a therapist working with traumatic brain injuries um, to provide better therapy? You said teaching was helpful for you, like being able as the client to ask questions and to learn why. Anything else? Yeah. um, Well, I don't know. I'm thinking about our music therapist. And even though, okay, the other irony going through speech therapy is like, you know, as a music therapist, we're trained to help people uh, work on their recall and work on their um, memory and work on, you know, these speech things. And I was like, wait, why the heck can't I do this for myself? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And like, it was difficult, but music's not always recommended because I was sound sensitive. So sorry, music therapist, but sometimes we're not the best thing for someone with a TBI. Um, louder for the people in the back (laughs) I I mean not because TBI but (laughs) yeah not too loud well not even for TBI like sometimes we're just not a good fit and that's okay Mm -hmm. and also like pre like old Janet music therapy there was so much music in all the sessions and new Janet like really embraced silence as part of a music therapy session because silence has a lot of power and a lot of weight and it's so needed to process things like okay so if you're a therapist and you're working with someone that has a tbi like i needed probably a five to ten second delay after someone stopped talking so i could process their words that's a long time yeah (laughs) um yeah did you want to say something I'm thinking about how important that is tied to our last topic, Um, because like with a lot of the kids that I work with, they're on the spectrum, they have developmental delays, like um, allowing processing time is part of the expectation. But if I was working with someone who presents like you as a young, healthy person, I might not realize that is what's needed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I might not intuitively honor that right away unless you know I had a reminder or someone told me or I picked up on it after a while that like Trisha you just need to shut your mouth like right now I could be talking way too fast and not making this interview very pleasant for you so I apologize we're okay um today today's a pretty good day for me um yeah I want to talk more about how my clients with autism like I had this perspective of them pre-TBI and post-TBI. It's pretty different. So like these goal areas, they are, I don't know, goal areas, but you know, typical signs of people with autism is they don't really look at you in the face um, too much or they'll look away. Um, And I always kind of thought that was probably just because they don't know that that's socially expected. So I thought it was lack of knowledge and I thought it was, lack of interest and I thought it was lack of uh 
being able to decipher the emotions on people's face so really it kind of boils down to like lack of knowledge almost um but now i i look at people um and so like there's just so much information on people's faces trisha and there's so much movement and and not even just their face but also their hands and arm movements which is like so much sensory input um so like i would have clinical supervision with my boss after like returning to music therapy um well sort of (laughs) and i'd be like okay i'm listening to you but i'm gonna look away from you because you're giving a lot of movement and and i don't like it's really hard for me to ask you to not talk with your hands people just do that Um, i was gonna say i feel attacked but in a good way (laughs) um and and so like i was like i'm not gonna look at you but i'm listening and i just want you to know that and also i'm not gonna nod my head like i usually do because it makes me nauseous so i'm currently trying to not move my head you know (laughs) and so it looks like i'm not interested and i'm not paying attention but it's just so i can actually hear you and not be so overwhelmed by these terrible feelings internally i have two initial reactions to that and I'll try to remember both the first is that you and I were of the generation of music therapists who were trained that eye contact was a great goal to work on when working with people on the autism spectrum um and since then I have personally come to the conclusion that working on eye contact is a terrible thing to have a goal towards because for a lot of autistic people like it's painful to make eye contact or it is overwhelming or like you know it feels too intimate or whatever people from the autistic community have been telling us about why it shouldn't be a priority it's a neurotypical trait that we are projecting onto non-neurotypical people neurodivergent Mm. people and so that's the first thing I was thinking of was like you have had the lived experience to tell you like why maybe that should not be a priority, but I've had to learn it secondhand. And the other thing I was thinking of as I talk with my hands um, is I talk with my hands. And in a lot of situations clinically, I use my hands to try and provide a visual to reinforce Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. So like using my fingers to count the options for what we're going to do or, um, like, you know, going up and down or like right now my hands are open. But when I said what I'm going to say, my hands were in fists. Like I use my hands a lot. I try to use them intentionally. And previously I thought it was one of my strengths to be able to reinforce what I'm saying with the visual of my body. But now I'm wondering how distracting that is for the people I work with. Yeah, it's it's a good question because I think sometimes it is needed to count visually. Um, like I'm I'm so much a visual processor. Um, auditory processing is not my strength. Give me a written book any day, <laughs> um, and so that makes sense where you want to count on your fingers. Um, but yeah, it, it is distracting. <laughs> Sometimes I get so distracted by people's like random body quirks that I'll like count the number of times they do something. (laughs) Can I? Okay. So that's a old Janet trait because you did that to me once. Do you remember? I do remember. (laughs) Okay. Can I tell the listeners? 
because so I, it, it, it honestly, and I'll tell my own story. Um, you counted how <laughs> many times I chew my food, um, which is fine. Like this is not a judgment in any way. Are you going to say why though? Yes. Yes. But I'm also thinking, I wonder what I was doing that was so distracting because <laughs> I'm saying I'm a very animated talker. So uh, anyway, you counted how many times I chewed my food because I ate fast and you didn't, and you wanted to be able to eat faster. And so you were analyzing why I was able to eat so fast. Um, for the listeners, for context, this was in college when I was doing music therapy. I had a minor in psychology. I was on the swim team at school. I was coaching marching band. I was marching drum corps. I was doing all these things. I didn't have time to eat. Uh, so virtually Janet could tell you, I did not chew my food. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time after like, you know, like 16 times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the first time I went home for Thanksgiving after my freshman, you know, like the first four months, literally at the first dinner with my father, he stopped me and said, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I was just like shoving food in my face and talking because that's what I had to do to survive. I didn't realize yeah. it was like this trait I had picked up and that I was being um, kind of repulsive at the dinner table. Oh, not repulsive, Trisha. <laughs> I Let's revisit the motivation for why I counted this because uh, yes. I wanted to be more like you. <laughs> I had no idea that your father said that to you, though. I, I mean, it was a good awakening for me to be like, oh, I can slow down. Um, digestion starts in the mouth. And if you don't chew your food, you cannot properly digest your food. And you're not getting any of the nutrients from the wonderful food you're eating. So I, since then, yeah. I consciously try to chew my food more. That's a really random tangent we went on. <laughs> Thank you for listening. That's great. <laughs> but that, okay, but that's cool. So this was a before Janet thing. Is it heightened as an after Janet thing? Um, counting when people do things? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just a... Uh... Well, I tell you what, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it is motivated by irritation because if someone says like in their sentences, instead of being mean to them and yelling at them for saying like in their sentences, I'll just count to make sure that I'm not being irrationally irritated. <laughs> and How many are, times have I said like? Uh, I, I haven't been counting it with you, Trishta. <laughs> I don't think you've said it at all. I don't know. Um, but that kind of relates back to after the TBI, I had a whole lot of emotion fluctuation kind of. I don't know what the clinical word for it is, but it was hard moodiness. to regulate. Yeah, yeah, moodiness. Emotional <laughs> dysregulation. I got so irritated with my parents especially um, and just other people that, yeah. It was, it was intense irritation and other just fluctuation of like it was so hard to handle stress after the tbi and like i got just overwhelmed so easily I'll, i mean there was like a lot to be overwhelmed by but the tolerance was so much lower um there was this one time where actually like i got so irritated that like i started referring to it as like my hulk like i had a hulk because i had this internal anger that was very new 
in new Janet <laughs> um, to have anger because old Janet only felt happiness and contentment and excitement. <laughs> that I was hear about it. it. <laughs> um, okay, so I was in this store, like a Walgreens. I think I was like picking up headphones to go somewhere. And I just remember being, okay, I'm not a violent person, right, Trisha? No. Well, correct. Not You're a- not a violent person. I'm agreeing with you. Let yes. there be no confusion. <laughs> um, and I was so ready to punch this person behind me in line at the store. Like, I have never considered punching a stranger, but I was so close to it. I was like clenching my fists at my sides. And I was like, how long until I get out of here? Like, yeah, it was intense, man. I don't even know what they're doing. It might have been standing too close to me in line. <laughs> it might have just been talking on their phone. Like, it was so irrelevant, but I was so like Hulk mode. Um, Interesting. And that was, that was one of those symptoms that I didn't really realize that I had until... Oh, also, I got a regular therapist <laughs> to help me process all of this, which is so good. <laughs> um, yeah, that was like one of the, the almost hidden symptoms of the. Mm. Yeah, I, I recently read that when you go through trauma, like it enlarges the amygdala or something, and that process is like your fight or flight. And so I think I was definitely on like hyper fighty mode. <laughs> Yeah, because then it bypasses like the next step, the rational thought. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about how incredibly validating that is for anyone else who might not realize that that's a symptom and why they're experiencing it. And also a great reminder about when we, in our personal or professional lives, are with people who are experiencing very heightened emotions that we are not, um, Mm -hmm. not minimizing that to our earlier conversation, you know, like your feelings are valid and people say, you know, is this a big problem or a little problem right now? It feels like a big problem. So instead of telling Mm -hmm. you it's a little problem and you should let it go, we should be (laughs) focusing on helping you get through it and finding a coping mechanism or giving you support. Um, yeah for sure validating the emotions yeah i have this one mentor um who's like amazing they they were the leader of the church band back in high school and i have kept in contact and so i was texting him how i felt like the hulk and like you know just kind of wanted to hit someone and (laughs) he's like such an interesting personality and he's like the only one that responded this way he's like okay well if you're gonna hit someone do it in front of the other people so they learn (laughs) well (laughs) Yep. <laughs> and I laughed so hard. And it was just so, so good to have that kind of response instead of the, Janet, what's happened to you? <laughs> but also, like, what a great response in that it made you laugh because laughter is so therapeutic in itself, you know? Yeah. 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 To be both seen and lightened emotionally in the same sentence, that takes skill. Yeah. Mm um okay so my clinical brain um is looking at this top or conversation so far and i just want to like talk about the clinical side of this injury and rehabilitation because i feel like that will interest therapists totally (laughs) um okay so i had several tests done um to you know scan my brain and stuff i had an mri done um 
way too late to detect for brain bleeding, but you know, there was none, so that's good. <laughs> I had an EEG done, which was so cool to see my brain waves. Oh my gosh, in the moment, so cool. <laughs> um, they, yeah, I don't really know why we did that, but we did. It looked normal, that's good. <laughs> Um, and then I also did a VNG test, which was vestibular related to kind of check for the nausea, which came back normal. All this came back normal, which uh, in, on the one hand is good. And on the other hand, it's like, oh man, we don't know how to fix this problem then. So what a bummer. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, so then I had speech therapy and physical therapy and I was probably in both of those like outpatient probably started at three times a week and then slowly decreased to one time a week. Um, I was probably discharged after three months and then I went back after four or five to my physical therapist because I was still having issues like walking like walking through the grocery store that was like a marathon Trisha a marathon. Um, and yeah i went back to her and i was like hey i've got these issues can you help me and she's like i don't doubt that you have these issues but there's nothing more i could do oh that stank um but the actual physical therapy was not that bad except for the fact that it made me feel really crappy afterwards <laughs> but she was so instrumental in helping me learn that i couldn't push through this concussion and this injury like i had done with everything else in my life This podcast is sponsored by the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, also known as MTPC, where you can find a variety of CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. All of MTPC's pod courses are built on a listen, learn, apply model, where you start by listening to some assigned podcast episodes, then move into learning with the assistance of a workbook filled with resources for you to start your self-study towards whatever topics are most interesting, inspiring, and applicable to your practice. And then we finish with the apply section, which includes an office hour and a worksheet to determine how you are going to apply your learning to your personal life or professional practice. You can find all the Music Therapy Chronicles pod courses on our website, musictherapychronicles.com, and you can find the entire catalog of pod courses at MTPC's website, mtpodcastcollective.com. Make sure you also get on the MTPC newsletter for 10% off your first pod course purchase. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a lot out of it. If you're looking for more Music Therapy Chronicles, you can check out our website, musictherapychronicles.com, for more episodes, blog posts, social media links, um, contact information, 
our self-care community and our CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. Hop on our monthly newsletter if you haven't already and follow us on social media for just staying up to date on what's going on behind the scenes. We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. They really help the podcast be more visible so more people like you who are looking for this type of content can find it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode, and I'll see you in the next one.